We're going to go to quite a few different passages here because I'm going to use different passages for illustrations. But uh, there's phrases that are often used throughout the Bible and, and they catch your eye. Uh, this was pointed out to me by another preacher I was reading, but they, they catch your eye and um, just these little phrases. And, and when you think about what's behind the phrase, it really makes you think. Look at uh, verse number 8 of chapter 18. Exodus 18, we're going to look at verse number 8. It says, And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And verse number 10, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. And in verse number 11, look at this first three words here. Now I know. He said, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. Let's pray. Amen. Uh, there's, there's times in your life when you've done something, and you've done it over and over, or maybe you've worked at it, and you, you reach a point sometimes when you're doing that thing, it's kind of an aha moment, they call it. It's like you know the steps and you're working through them and, and maybe, maybe by way of illustration, I'll bring up golf. Not because I particularly play it, but I remember trying to learn golf and I also remember chess. You can apply this to anything. But uh, I remember in learning to play golf, I didn't get to enjoy it because I'm stepping up and I'm going through all these steps. And they're saying, well, your foot goes here, and this foot goes here, about shoulder width, and I'm going to do it wrong because this was over 20 years ago. And your hands go down like this, and you bring the club up, and you lower it, and you keep your arms together, and it's hard to do in a suit, but then, you know, you swipe through. Because that first time, man, I hit that ball, and I'm like, where'd it go? I know I swatted it good. I had a tap on my shoulder. <laughs> And he's pointing off to the side over there by the trees, you know. It's like, man, I'm, I was sure it went that way. But you learn all of these steps. And, it, and, you know, that's all that's on your mind as you're doing it, you know. But you reach that aha moment to where it's more about the strategy. You under, yet all this is behind you, and, and now you're understanding what's going on. And uh, it's kind of the same with chess. Hopefully these will tie into the message because I made these up on the spot. But uh, it's the same with chess. I remember chess, you know, learning it. This piece goes here and this piece moves this way and all of this, you know. And you play the game and all you can think about is if I move this one and you're trying to think ahead and all of this. But something happened when I was in the Navy and we were decommissioning the ship. All the, most of the guys had left. I was one of the last few left on the ship, you know, waiting to get out of the Navy. I was getting out early because we were decommissioning, and our ship was going to Turkey. 
As a matter of fact, just a free fact, the ship that I served on in the U.S. Navy is a museum in Turkey, <laughs> if they still have it there. The TCG-EGE, I still don't know how to pronounce it. But they took out all the bunks and everything, and they got, like it had been in the Turkish Navy its whole life. It's like, no, that was my ship over here. But anyway, so we're in the birthing area. We're in the back in, uh, in my office space, you know, and we're playing chess because there's not a whole lot to do, you know. And the more we played, I just kind of reached that aha moment. It's like the runner's high or something that you reach to where you understand what's going on beyond the steps, beyond just the piece goes here and the little horse he moves up and goes over like an L shape, you know. You move beyond that to... Let's see what he does. I'm going to capture this side of the board, you know, and we'll see what he does. Oh, he made a change. Well, I'm going to morph around to this side. And you start to see the strategy of it. Now, does this apply? I don't know. But in your Christian life, you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your first aha moment is, or should be, I'm going to hell without Jesus Christ. That should be the first thing that you realize when you come to know Christ. You come to realize that no amount of good that I do, no amount of works that I do is going to be good enough to satisfy God. I can't work my way. My good works will not outweigh my bad works at the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment. And, uh, you know, they say, well, my good works will outweigh my bad. And it's like, well, you've already broken the law. We've been over this quite a few times, but you know, have you already st- have you stolen something? Well, it wasn't a big thing, but you stole it. You broke God's law. Throw a mirror on the ground, you're not going to get it back together. It's broken. And God sent his son, and this is your first aha moment. God sent his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. The Bible says all of sin and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. When I'm showing somebody and those guys in the jail, we had a guy uh, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. He wasn't saved. And what, let me tell you something. There's nobody that wants to see somebody saved like somebody that's been saved. And these guys in that room, you know, I'm like, well, who here is saved? I go ahead and ask the question. You see all the hands go up. And that, that one night they're saying, well, he's not. <laughs> And they're not trying to pick on him. They want him to know what they have. And he was at that spot. You know, he said, well, when I commit, I want to do it right. And uh, I don't know his name. I think I can get away with this. But, you know, he said, uh, I kind of look at it like getting jumped into a game. Well, people relate to things the way they know how, right? And what he meant was when you get jumped into a game, you don't get out. You're making a commitment to stay with them. And he wasn't trying to say he wanted to be in a gang, but he was trying to say he wanted to have that same commitment to the Lord. And I had to explain to him, you can't clean yourself up. You can't make yourself worthy. You accept Christ as your Savior, and he's your strength that gets you through. He's your righteousness. He's the one that helps clean you up. He's the one that leads and guides you. But the first thing you have to do is be in the family. And accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's your first aha moment. 
I remember 11 years old. I didn't know much. I just knew I was going to hell. I knew the things that I had done up to for 11 years. I knew things that I had done in those 11 years that condemned me to going and dying. If I died, I'd go to hell. But then the man told me about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, I wanted to pray to Jesus Christ. And that's the first aha moment. But then you reach a second point, and it happens to people different. And it, the, the, this aha moment that I'm talking about is the point that Jethro reaches. He says, now I know. There's a few points in the Bible, a few parts in the Bible, a few people in the Bible that reach a point and they say, now I know. I heard about it before, but now I know. And there's a couple different ways people come to this aha moment. And this first one is just, let's, let's take a look at it. It's hearing it from others, hearing someone else's testimony. See, Moses had left his father-in-law Jethro, and he'd left his wife and his kids with him. That was his, you know, his wife was Jethro's daughter, and he left his, Jethro's grandsons with him. And he went to Egypt, and all of that happened with the plagues, and God delivered them out of Egypt. And when they got on the other side of the Red Sea and they thirsted for water, you have the waters of Marah where the waters were bitter. And he saw what God did in, in providing water for them. They needed food in the wilderness, and God had provided manna for them in the wilderness. They reached a point where as they were traveling, the hindmost of them were getting picked off by Amalek, the people Amalek. And they fought him down in the valley, and Moses was up there on the mountain, and he was holding his arms up. And as long as his arms were up, they were winning. And when they fell down, tired, they began to lose in the valley. There's a great picture in that, but this had taken place up until this point. And Moses, we know that Aaron and her, they, they held up his arms, and they won the battle. So we get to chapter number 18, and it says, When Jethro, verse number 1, When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of one was Gershom. For he said, I've been an alien in a strange land, and the name of the other was Eleazar. For the God of my father said he was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. What I want you to look at is verse number one. He says, when Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel and his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro had heard about it. He had heard about what had taken place. But it wasn't until he got there with Moses and he heard the testimony directly from Moses' mouth, what God had done for him that you reach the point in verse number 11, he says, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them, talking about Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God, and Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat with Moses' father-in-law before God. So he worshiped God. It was at that point, after Moses' testimony, he said, Now I know that God is greater than than all the other gods. So hearing the testimony. Now one of the other ways, one of the other aha moments, you know, people get saved from hearing 
someone's testimony. They hear what God did for them. When we're in that jail and witnessing to that one young man and the, the other fellas are giving their testimony, this is what God did for me. He'll, he'll save you. God will clean you up. You know, they're giving their testimony. And it's because of the word, the, the testimony of what God has done. One of the other things that brings people to that aha moment, they, they have a relationship with God or they don't. But it's that aha moment. It says, you know, God is real. All right, I just saw a head shake. I'm not going to ask the question, but y'all answer it for me. Y'all can't read my mind? Are y'all with me? Okay. You know Erica laughs every time she hears that. But uh, I just want to make sure, you know, before I go plowing on. But uh, that aha moment, another thing that happens in people's lives, it may be a healing or it may be a miracle that takes place in their life. Something that they realize that God works in their life. Let's look at a couple examples from the Bible. Look at uh, 2 Kings chapter number 5. Turn over there with me if you will. 2 Kings chapter number 5. You hit Chronicles, go back a little bit. Now, over in 2 Kings, there's a Syrian soldier called Naaman. And in his life, he'd had plenty of opportunity to learn about God. The Bible says that God had blessed him in battle. It said, now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him... The Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. So he was up there. He was appreciated by the king. He was a leader of men, but he was a leper. He had a disease that was killing him slowly. Your skin dies. You can't feel things. You bump something. You don't know you bumped it, and you end up bleeding. You got to be careful. You don't bleed to death. You got to be careful at the sores. Don't get infected. It's something that stays with you. And leprosy in the Bible is a, is a type of sin. It's that sin that's on you. But here God had given him deliverance. And uh, he had a couple testimonies in his life. And one of the testimonies was his young maid. Look at uh, verse number two. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. So he had the testimony of his maid about this prophet that would heal, about what God could do for him. But that wasn't enough because he didn't say, for I know at this point. And then it goes on, and the king of Syria said, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. So he brings the letter to the king of Israel, and the king of Israel sees this, and he thinks that the king of Syria is trying to start a battle with him. He's like, you're, you're asking me to cure his leprosy. I can't do that. Am I a prophet? And Elijah hears about it, and he sends for him. 
So he had the testimony of Elijah. He had the welcome from the prophet, 2 Kings 5.5. 5. And the king of Syria said, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of raiment. So he goes to the prophet Elijah and he tells him to go and wash in the river Jordan seven times. And as he goes there, so he has the testimony of his maid who tells him about the prophet. He has the reassurance of the king who sends him to be healed. But he's not healed yet. And he's not saying, well, I know the God of Israel. But he gets to it and he says, you know, why do I have to wash in this dirty river Jordan? He didn't think a lot about it. He said, why do I have to do this? You know, a lot of people stumble on that. Why do I have to accept Jesus Christ? I can clean myself up. I can do right. I can work my way into heaven. They'll say that. He said, are not the rivers farper, far better to clean in? But he also had the patience of his servant that was nearby. All these things working throughout his life to lead him to this moment that he's about to get to. And these moments that have happened in your life, they'll lead you to that aha moment. I know. And the servant has patience with him. In verse 13, and the servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, wash and be clean. I got to be careful not to preach on this because I always think about all the things that people throw into religion. If he bid you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have thrown down a rug? Wouldn't you have prayed to this direction? Wouldn't you have eaten just this? You know, wouldn't you have restricted your diet to just this? Wouldn't you have sat on your head? Wouldn't you have meditated for days and nights? Wouldn't you have sat in a smoky tent? Wouldn't you have worshipped on your knees? Wouldn't you have crawled up those stone steps up to the top, to the temple at the top, in order to get forgiveness from God and to get cleanness? They said, wouldn't you have done some great thing? But all he's asking you to do is to wash in the River Jordan. And so he does that. But it wasn't until he had the healing. 2 Kings chapter number 5, verse 15, and he returned to the man of God, and this is after he washes, and he comes out clean. The leprosy's gone. And he goes back to the man of God, and he returned, and he and all his company came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all earth but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take of thee of the blessing of thy servant. And there's more to go there. But he reached that ah moment. He reached that point where now I know. I want to ask you, have you reached that point in your life? Now I know that God will take care of me. I'm not closing out. Don't get nervous. Don't, don't, don't start closing up now. We got a ways to go. But you reach that point in your life, now I know. Where your relationship with the Lord leaves, I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to get my feet a certain distance apart. I need to hold the club like this. I need to do this. I need to be in my Bible. I need to be in prayer. Where do you get to that point to where, Lord, I know you're here with me in this moment. Like Nehemiah, when he's about to go before the king, they call it the Nehemiah prayer. The king calls him, and he's the king's cup bearer, and the king says, why are you 
Why is your countenance falling? Why are you sad? Wasn't a good thing to be sad in front of the king. <laughs> he wouldn't know what you were hiding. The king could snap his fingers and he'd, your head would be snapped off. He prayed to the Lord in heaven in that moment. Your relationship with the Lord goes from, I need to get to church, I need to do this, to where this is going to happen. And I'm turning to you, Lord, for my next step. I want to open your word. I want to spend time with you, Lord. Something I've learned, there's nothing that gets done more than something you want to do. And when you reach that aha moment, let me say it again. There's nothing that's more likely to get done. There's not, there's, when you understand that God will answer prayers, you will pray. When you understand that God will lead, you'll take out, you'll step out, and you'll trust him for the next step. The storms will blow. Things will come flying at you. Things will be on the horizon and, and they'll worry you, and, and you'll get worked up about them. But when you know that God is in charge and God is in control, and when you've gone back and you've looked at those moments, you saw the little maid, you heard from the king, you heard from the prophet, you heard from the servants, and you reached that point. You know, now I know that God is in charge. That's your aha moment. So it wasn't until he had the healing. Now turn over to 1 Kings, chapter number 17. 1 Kings, chapter number 17. I tell you, one thing I was... One thing I was nervous about and going to the jail, I wasn't, I wasn't scared of them hurting me. You know, they couldn't do too much, hopefully, before somebody got to me. But also, if they're in there for a church service, I, I feel there's probably about nine other guys to stop the one crazy one. But uh, one thing I learned, I, I went back there with a couple guys, and I said, I don't know if I could do that the whole time, you know. He gave his testimony. He'd been in prison. He knew what they were going through and all that. I can't do that. Uh, yeah. Well, let me tell you, I spent three hours in jail one time over in Friendswood. And, uh, you know, that's, you can't relate like that. But one thing I can do is bring them right here. And, and I know my aha moment was this will be with you long after everybody else falls away. God's word will be writing in your heart long after, you know, the, the church breakup or long after something. I'm not planning a church breakout, and y'all better not be. But what I'm saying is people will hurt you or people will drift off or, you know, relationships, things that have you drew you close to the Lord, people that drew you close, they won't always be there. I learned that when we went to Decatur, Alabama. This is for free. This is on the side. Don't get confused. We're still going to 1 Kings 17. But, you know, we went to church in Decatur, Alabama, and, and man, they had discipleship. They were going on Tuesdays, and I knew if I stayed there, I was going to learn Bible. But my job changed, and I had to move. And I had to make a decision between the job and between the church. Well, God goes with you. When you go, it wasn't an easy road. I felt like we'd have gotten a lot further if we'd have been able to stay there. 
we went down a longer road, but God never left me. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. So if I can give those young men Bible, I can give them something that'll stay with them long after that door clangs behind them and they're out back in the world and they're back out there fighting the demons and they're back out there fighting themselves and the flesh and turning toward the spirit. If they can turn toward the word of God, if they can have that aha moment right here, they can make it. All right, 1 Kings chapter number 17. One of the other things that'll happen, it'll bring an aha moment. It may be a sickness in the family. It may be, it may be something that God does in your life. There are things that God will do to wake you up. I, I know in our own family, there's been times when somebody's been going down the wrong road that God used an accident to wake them up. And it didn't always work, did it? But to survive, to to end up with the car wrapped around the tree and you're laying on the ground still alive, God gives you a chance to have that aha moment and say, God did deliver me from this and God delivered me for a reason. It doesn't always work. But here we have the widow of Zarephath. She wasn't drinking. She didn't wrap around a tree, but she had been there with Elijah during the famine. Elijah had come to him, come to her and asked her what she was doing. She said, I'm picking up sticks and I can, I've got a little bit of flour. I've got a little bit of oil. We're going to cook it so that we can die. Cause she, that's all she had was enough for the next meal. And then the preacher said something and I always laugh at this and I shouldn't, but I always think about the preacher sitting at the table, well, feed me first and then go and make one for you and your son. And that took some faith. But that widow was right there with Elijah when all of this happened. And, and she saw that the, the, every morning when she got up, there was enough oil. And there was enough flour for one more meal. And she was able to make it another day. And she reaches a point. Look at uh, chapter number 17. And go over to verse number 17. It says, and it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? She's not saying I know right now, is she? She's saying, O me, O why? And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up to a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. Now I went through that real quick and there's a lot of preaching in there, but we're going to go on. And Elijah took the child, brought him down out of the chamber unto his mother. And Elijah said, see, thy son liveth. And then verse number 24, and the woman said to Elijah, now by this, I know that thou art a man of God and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. 
You see what I mean about that aha moment? In your own life, you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You accepted Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You know that God's word is true. You know that God in his word prophesies. You know that these things will take place. You trust it by faith. You don't understand it. You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to take place, but you say, this is God's word. I'm going to believe it. Hopefully you do. If you're in this church, this is what we believe. When God says it, it's going to happen. We don't know when, we don't know how, and we're not going to set dates because that's not how it works. But I know that in the end, God wins. It doesn't matter whether we're here or not when it happens. We might be up there at the rapture, at the judgment seat of Christ, and then all that goes on with the tribulation we've been learning about. But I know it's going to take place. And let me tell you something. The more I look into this world, this is for free. The more I look into this world and we go more and more toward this whole control thing, I say, man, there it is. The Bible's true. Just more and more. It's amazing all the things that begin to fall in place to make God's word true. The more God's denied, the more he's proven right. So she reaches this point. After seeing her son brought back to life, she reaches that aha moment. In your own life, it may be a sickness. It may be a crash. It may be something that wakes you up and says, now I know God is real. You can know facts and figures, but have you reached that point where you know that you know? So over there in 2 Kings, she says, I know. <coughs> 1 Kings uh, 17. Another thing that may happen in your life are storms. I know in our life, you know, I use it for an illustration, but we've been through some storms in our lives, and I just can't help but think about them sometimes. I just can't help to use it for illustration. But there have been plenty of storms that you've been through in your own life. There's a, but when we get to the disciples, look over in uh, Matthew chapter number 8. Matthew chapter number 8. We're going to look at verse 23. The Bible says, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are you feel fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of this what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Now, they didn't say, now we know. They said, what manner of man is this? You know, sometimes you get through that first storm in your life, and you're just like, how did he do that? And you know that you got through the storm. You know that God took care of it, and you go on with your life. But then there may come another storm a little harder storm. Maybe you don't feel so close to Jesus because that time he was in the boat. He was sleeping in the back of the boat and they wake him up. Master, care us not that we perish. And he said, oh, ye, a little faith. And the winds calm. And the water calms like the Pacific Ocean. You ever been out there? It's like glass. And he calms the waters in your life and stills them. And you go on and you say, I know God. I know the Bible's true. I trust that. 
I trust all of that. Turn to Matthew chapter 14. But then another storm comes up in your life. And this time, Jesus had sent them across to the other side while he went apart into a mountain to pray. But he was watching them as they were out there. And they get into the middle of the night and they're rowing and that storm darkens, those clouds darken. And man, they're just rowing and rowing, but it's hard to go forward. And in your own life, sometimes there's a storm and you're, you're, you know that God's in control and they weren't going to give up because Jesus told them, the master told them to get to the other side. If he told us, you know, we're going to make it. But they get in that storm and the waters are coming over the side and, and they, they start to despair because they've been rowing all night, but the wind just keeps pushing back. They just row, but they're not making any headway. Look at 33. They see Jesus out on the water. Jesus comes down to them, and this is when he walks on the water in the stormy water. And in another part, it talks about Peter getting out of the boat. And Jesus gets in the boat with them, and he calms it. They have this experience, and they see Jesus come to their aid. And they reach the end. Look at this, verse number. Let's look at uh, verse number 22. Matthew 14, 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain to pray. And look down at verse number 33. And we'll go to 31 for context. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Talking about Peter. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Now, they didn't say, I know, but they knew. They knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God in that moment. Before, they were saying, What manner of man is this that even the wind obeys him? But they reached that second storm in their life, and they said, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. They'd seen him perform miracles before all of this. They'd seen him feed the 5,000 over on the shore just the day before. They'd seen the blind healed. They'd seen the lame made to walk. And they reached this point where God delivered them out of their own storm. And they said, of a truth, thou art the son of God. Reaching that aha moment. So until they heard Jesus... There there may be storms that bring you to that moment, and you'll be glad to know we're reaching the last one here. Until they heard Jesus for themselves. Look at John chapter number 4. You know, in your Christian walk, you can listen to preaching. You can read commentaries. And you can listen to men tell you what the Bible says. You can listen to women. You can, listen, you can do the, I won't name them, but you can do the Bible studies. You can show up for group studies. You can, you can listen to preaching. I mean, we've got all kinds of ways to listen to preaching. But there's something that happens when God shows you something for yourself. You can read your daily devotional and they'll show you. You know, Oswald Chambers, that's my favorite one. I had it for years, since 97. And, uh, you know, you get wisdom from that. But when you're reading the Bible and you're 
it makes you want to reach for the highlighter. And I said, that's when the Lord spoke to me. Now, in John chapter number four, Jesus is sitting by the well, and he's talking to a woman there at the well. And uh, he says, draw me water to drink. She said, how is it that you being a Jew will speak to a Samaritan? We're not going to go into all that. But then they begin to have a theological discussion, and he tells her all about herself. He says, go and get your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. And he said, you, you've said, well, for you've had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. And she realized she had that aha moment. Verse number 18, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou sayest truly. And the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And then she begins to change the subject. But what I want to show you is when she's done talking to him, she goes to tell others about Jesus Christ. She had her moment. Um, He tells her, God is a spirit, verse 24. Verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled. And then uh, verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of the city that believed on him for the saying of the woman, which he testified, he told me all that I ever I did. Let's see. Yeah, verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. They had their aha moment. Another one, I think it'd be adding too much, but you got Paul on the road to Damascus who realized who art thou, Lord, realized that Jesus was the Lord and Savior. But the woman had witnessed to him. She had told them about Christ. But when they talked to him and they knew him, he had talked to them for themselves. So I want to ask you in your own life, have you had that first aha moment? Do you realize, do you Where will you go if you were to die right now, if you were to walk outside the door, get run over, whatever? A lot of people dying suddenly. If God were to take you out today, where would you go? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means everybody. Nobody's exempt. The Bible says, but the wages of of sin is death, but... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Y'all have heard me, and I like to tell the guys at the jail, we told that guy that one night, said that, but that's the door. You don't cross over that door. The other side doesn't matter to you. You're just left with the wages of sin is death. But if you cross across that but, the rest of the verse is for you too. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's nothing you do to get to heaven on your own. No amount of good works is going to make up for breaking God's law, for telling a lie, for looking on a woman to lust after her, for stealing. doesn't matter how small it was. It wasn't yours. You took it. God said, thou shalt not steal. He laid the law out so that we would know what sin is. If you realize that and you answer that question honestly, if you were to die today, where would you go? When you cross over that but, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that gift is yours if you accept it. Have you reached that moment to realize the need of a Savior? You have. You can pray along with me. You don't have to say exactly what I say, but there's something that takes place. It's supposed to take place in the heart. It's not a spell that you say. It's not something you just spout in order to get in the club. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. What matters is your heart. Do you realize your need of a Savior? Because Jesus came, the Son of God, was the only one that could pay the penalty of sin once and forever. And he died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to suffer. The wages of sin is death. He is on the other side of that door. Pray with me now. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I realize that there's nothing I can do to get to heaven, Lord. I place my trust in your finished work on the cross. I place my trust in you. I'm done relying on myself, Lord. I just want to trust what you did for me. I know that you died on the cross for me, that your blood was shed. That crown of thorns belonged to my head. It should have been me on the cross. But you took my place. God, I accept sacrifice. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to come into my life and to lead me. Are you willing to go to the Lord just as you are? If you are, pray that prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.